The text for the sermon this day is taken from that epistle lesson, specifically these words in verse 10. As each has received a gift, use, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. That is the text. Grace to you and mercy from God our Father, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Good stewards of God's varied grace. That is the theme that's going to carry us through the next three weeks. That little phrase. And to understand it, it begins with understanding who you are. Understanding your identity. First and foremost, it begins with the fact that God created you. In going all the way back to Genesis 1, he created man in his image and woman. So just so in case you think only men are. Man and woman were created in God's image. And when God created everything, he said, behold, it is very good. So without, without sin, without sickness, without death. And you go forward two chapters and man falls into sin. And sin enters into the world, and so death enters into the world, and sickness enters into the world. And that sinful nature which they brought into the world trickles all the way down to us. And therefore, you are born a sinner. Understand, you are not a sinner because you sin. I've heard bad people get mad at me when I say that. But you are not a sinner because you sin. You sin because you are a sinner. And understand, if you, go, if you think that you are a sinner because you sin, then you are denying original sin, and you are actually outside of Christianity. Just so you know, that's a very big rejection. You were born dead in your sins and in your trespasses. You were born a sinner. And the sins that you commit are ultimately a symptom of the inner sinful nature that inherited from your parents and your parents inherited from their parents and their parents, etc., etc., all the way back to Adam and Eve. And if you, want, if you have any questions as to whether or not you are committing these sins, whether or not you have this sinful nature, all you have to do is consult your small catechism. For some of you, it might be very old, and it may be bar barely keeping together. And if, you, if it's that case, go get it, bind it up. But you open that up, and you read it. Look through the commandments. You look at the ninth and 10th commandment, you shall not covet. Very simple way to figure out if you struggle with coveting. Are you always content with your life? Do you ever look at someone else's car and think, man, I wish that was mine? Or ever look at somebody's house and think, oh boy, I wish that was my house. Or you look at someone else's job and you wish that was your job. You wish something that was not yours was yours. That is coveting. Or maybe you go to the Eighth Commandment. If, and Eighth Commandment, believe it or not, in the day of the Internet, it seems to be pretty rampant. Because a lot of people don't realize that you actually, if you post something on Facebook, it can be a violation of the Eighth Commandment. So let's just take one that, for some reason, it's cycling around the internet. I don't know how, many how often I see it, 
But somebody will post, I heard it said that Facebook will not let you post the Lord's Prayer. And I'm, when I hear that, I'm like, who? Who said that? Do you have any evidence that anybody is saying this? Because I know that I posted a hymn every day for 50 days on, on, this, on Facebook. We post worship services every single week, which has way more than the Lord's Prayer. We have devotions every single day. Guess what? If you say that they're doing this and they're not, guess what commandment that is? You shall not bear false witness, which means you are using God to bear false witness, which is bordering on blasphemy. And yes, that is using God to commit sin on the social media is rampant. Or how about the fourth commandment? Now we all know honor your father and mother, and that was a pretty easy one to point that we fail at. But many of us are not living with our parents anymore. So if you look into your catechism, it tells you it also means it, you're to honor your authorities, which includes your governing authorities. So over the last four years, were you praying and giving honor, praying and giving thanks for President Donald Trump? On the flip side, should the election hold up, are you praying and giving thanks for President-elect Joe Biden? Scripture commands you to do both. You're supposed to pray and give thanks for the governing authorities, no matter who it is. Remember, when Paul wrote it, he was talking about Nero, one of the most sadistic people in the history of the world, and he was very, very awful to Christians. He lit the city of Rome with the, their burning bodies. And so, still, he told you to pray and give thanks for him. Yeah, it's not hard to see that we are sinners. We have fallen, and we are deserving of every ounce of God's wrath. And the consequence of sin is death. And beyond that, what is earned, what is deserved, is hell and damnation. Yes, hell is real. That is a real consequence. I know the popular idea is to try to say, oh, no, it's not real. That's just some weird thing. There's Love Wins was the book that came out many years ago by popular pastor Rob Bell. Which, by the way, if there is no hell, if everybody is saved regardless, why were the disciples dying confessing the gospel? Why would they go and be willing to die saying Jesus is Jesus is risen from the dead. He is the Lord. If you don't have to believe in him, and you'd be saved anyways. Makes no sense. Why would you be skinned alive if you knew that they didn't have to believe in it? The reason they were willing to endure what they did was because there was one and only one way to salvation. There is a hell. But they rested in the hope. The same hope that is yours. The hope that when, that, so when Adam and Eve fell into sin, they were given the promise of a child, and that child was born of the, of the young girl Mary, grew up, was eventually betrayed, denied, rejected, and crucified. 
The sentence, the, the punishment that was yours was placed entirely upon him. The fancy word we use for this is substitutionary atonement. He was your substitute. Your, your prison sentence was hell. He served it in your place. And in the waters of baptism, your sinful nature was lifted off of you and placed upon him. And in the waters of baptism, his, his righteousness was, lifted, was lit, put on you. You were literally clothed in Christ. And you, did, you received it, not because we don't, you'd have to write a check and say, okay, here's $50, now I can get baptized. You didn't have to go and clean out the gutters. You didn't have to um, say so many prayers. You didn't have to walk, help search a number of people across the street. You didn't have to stop sinning, cut down on your sinning. You received it as a gift by grace through faith. You received salvation. You received a new identity. When you were baptized, you came with your sinful nature and you received the identity of, as a child of God, an heir of paradise. That hymn we began with, by the way, God's own child, I gladly say it. Sit down and read that. Read that hymn. It's a great devotional. It's actually a wonderful hymn for funerals. Because, yeah, even though you lie in dust and ashes, yeah, you will rise. You're a child of God. I'm a child of paradise. That's your identity. God's own child. I can gladly say it. But here's the thing. As I mentioned at the beginning of the service, when you were baptized into Christ, you became a part of the church of Christ. This is why there's all this imagery of ship imagery throughout the history of the church. It's because it's symbolic of 1 Peter 3, where he compares baptism to the flood. In the flood, God saved eight persons in all, and so also baptism now saves. In baptism, you were grafted into the ark, into the ship that is the Holy Christian Church. And that when you became a part of that church, it's, you did not go straight up to heaven because you remain here as part of the church militant. Which means you are, good, you are stewards of God's varied grace. You are missionaries. And the mission is not over, well, it is overseas, but you can't easily get over there. The mission is your, wherever you are. When you were baptized, you received the gift of God. You receive, by grace, through faith. Faith is not merely saying, I believe that God exists. As, Paul, as the, James says, I believe that there is a God, you believe that there is a God, good. So do the demons and they shudder. The key word isn't believe, the key word is that. 
It's just merely an affirmation. You affirm that God exists. It's good, so do the demons, and they shudder. And then he goes on to say that faith without works is dead. Because faith, by definition, means trust. Faith, by definition, includes works. What I mean is that faith works. Faith works is produced in faith. They go together. It's like love and marriage or horse and carriage. Faith and works are produced by grace. The simplest way that happens is by coming to worship. Trusting in God means that you trust that his, you listen to his word. You hear it. You trust it like an innocent baby trusts the mouth of their own mother. You trust God's word. You hear it. That means that you, as you grow up, as you go older, and you're able to, you receive the body and blood of Jesus in, with, and under the bread and wine for the forgiveness of sins because you trust God's word that it is what he said it is. That is being a steward of God's grace that you receive God's grace. Being a steward of God's grace means that you also live, that you're, you carry that faith into the world. So as I mentioned, that bell that rings. So in, old, in ships, like when a, whenever a ship came in from sea, they'd ring the bell to let you know that it, that it had arrived. And they're going to be at home and they're going to have meals, spend time with their family, etc., etc. And then they'd get back on the ship and they'd ring it as it set sail again. So similarly, the bell rings and you have come in to the church to be fed, to be nourished. You gather with your family, your brothers and sisters in Christ. And then, when the bell rings again, if the bell was ringing, you set sail again, and you go out to mission. Because the mission field is wherever you're at. The most immediate mission field is in your own household. If you have kids, that means you spend time in devotions with them. You read the scriptures, you pray with them, and when you read a scripture, you talk about it. If you're alone, you spend time with devo in devotion. So you spend time in God's word. And nowadays, there is so, so many resources. If you have a tablet or a, I, I, or a smartphone, you have so way, way, way more devotions than anybody in the history of the world has ever had. And you don't, even have, to, you don't have to read either. You can just sit there and listen to it while you're driving to work or whatever. The other, or it also means that you encourage your kids in the raising of their faith. And by the way, when you're thinking, I know right now we don't have cross explorations as many as we normally would. We only go to fifth grade. We don't have Sunday school as much because we, we do need people to be volunteering in that. That's a later sermon. But do you know who's the primary job of raising kids in the faith? The parents, well, primarily the father, the head of the household. It is their job to raise the children in the faith. And if the, if the, if the head of the household says, I don't know what to learn, well, that's why you're supposed to be getting in catechesis, 
as well as your kids. That's why Luther originally designed it, that the parents would learn the large catechism and the parents would go home and teach the small catechism to their kids. In other words, confirmation is not actually supposed to be here, it's supposed to be at home. The parents are the ones that are supposed to be getting taught by the pastor, not the kids. We got it backwards because we start delegating everything out instead of doing what we're supposed to be doing. That is being a steward of God's grace and not to mention steward of the children. A steward of God's grace means that when you go to work, you're at work and you happen to be next to a, you happen to be working with somebody who has not who you know is not regularly in church of any type, may even be a member of our congregation. And so you might be at work and be like, hey Billy Bob. And I pick Billy Bob, so I'm not singling out anyone. As far as I know, we don't have any Billy Bobs. Do we? Is that am I thinking? Oh, anyways. So Billy Bob, hey, I haven't seen you, you haven't been in church. You know, I'd love for you to come to church, and you know, if you if you need to, I'll come and I guess. We'll ride in separate cars to keep social distance. But come, come to church, and you can sit in one green section, I'll sit in the other green section. That's what, that is part of being a steward of God's grace. If you are in school, if you have classmates who are not, going to, who are not in church in any capacity, that it means, hey, why don't you come to church? And by the way, pretty much every one of you, who, anybody that's in school, I guarantee you're surrounded by classmates who are members of this church, who you can be invited. That even includes inviting them to youth group or whatever. That is being a steward of God's grace. The word that we use for that, by the way, is vocation. See, when we heard the gospel lesson previously, and Jesus was talking about do not be afraid, do not be anxious. Some reason in our culture we think the opposite of fear is foolishness. That is not what God is saying. Jesus is not saying, throw caution to the wind. However, rather, he's telling you, trust that I work through people. For example, so he talks about, don't worry about what you're going to eat or drink. That does not mean just sit in your house and pray that bread and water is going to come from the ceiling and it will all of a sudden appear to you. No, you trust that God's going to work through farmers, he's going to work through the grocer, he's going to work through, all, through, through bakers, whoever, all the people that make it possible for the food to get to your table. And you trust that the stove's going to work, the microwave's going to work, et cetera, et cetera. Trust means trusting in the doctrine of vocation. God works through his people. That is the opposite of fear, not acting like God waves magical wands all the time. The word that, the term that Luther used, he said that we are all masks of God to our neighbor through which he serves them. That is being a steward of God's grace. But here's the thing, as you go through the week, as I've gone through that, those things, every one of you, this is a crazy thing about the law. When the law is preached, if you remember back to Catech, Confirmation. How many uses of the law are there? Three, right? The curb, the mirror, and the ruler. So the curb, that's the, one, that's the law that is written on every single person's heart. That is the law that tells you how to live as a, just a, a typical human being. 
Every single person, even if they're not a Christian, they have that law written for them. It's on their heart. There's the mirror that shows that you are a sinner. And then there is a ruler, it's called sanctification, that shows you how you are to live as a Christian. But here's the funny thing, is as I preach about the third use of the law, stewardship is third use of the law, you are standing still convicted. Because if you're like me, you hear it, you're like, yeah, I fail at this miserably. And see, that's the wonders of our God. As we carry out that mission, why we come back here, we come back to this place, is because in the week, this is even why you have daily devotions. You end your day, say, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Because I guarantee it, you failed over and over. That's why the Lord's Prayer, he gave you that prayer to pray every single day. What a way to confess your sins. And he gives you this place because you will have failed. And so the bell rings and you come in, failed, broken, because you have not lived up as a steward of God's grace. And again you hear, in the stand and by the command of my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins. Again you hear the scriptures for you. Again you receive the bread and wine, which is the body and blood of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins. He restores you, forgives you, strengthens you. Because stewards means that you are living in grace. And you can return, you re, and he invites to return again and again and again. So may we live in that grace. In Jesus' name, amen. The grace, peace, and mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ keep you in the one true faith to life everlasting.